you bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your mercy and your healing and God, your patience that was on display on that day. Manifest per- perfectly in Jesus Christ. Lord, we are we're so often not merciful, God. We, we wound rather than heal. And God, we are not patient. We want you to act now. Uh, we don't understand your delay and we very often don't like it. And so this morning, would you give us faith this morning to rest and to wait upon the Lord? Lord, that in this moment, this pause of this Sabbath, of this Lord's Day, we would remember that you are good even when we're crying out to you and you don't seem to be answering our prayers. So, Father, would you be present here with us? I ask that that would not just be an intellectual thing this morning, but by your Spirit, it would be felt just a little bit more deeply here today. We need that. We ask you for that. Um, would, you, would you make that happen in our hearts this morning by faith? Uh, be with us now as we attend to your word. Help us to hear what you are saying by your Spirit to the church today. It's in your name that we pray, Jesus. Amen. My sermon text this morning is Psalm 130. If you have your Bible open, I encourage you to open your Bible. Psalm 130, which we responded to uh, in worship this morning by half verse. Out of the depths, out of the depths, I cry to you, O Yahweh. Out of the depths, I cry to you. One of the things that older pastors tell younger pastors is something like, something like this phrase, you don't know until you know. You don't know until you know. You don't know about suffering or how to manage a vestry or whatever until you've actually suffered, until you've actually led a vestry. You don't know what it feels like to be the senior pastor until you've been the senior pastor, whatever that means. All of us translate this saying into our area of life. This is common all over the place. You don't know what it's like to be a mother until you're a mother. Some of us have heard that. Some of us have said that. You can practice all day long, but until you step onto the field, until that whistle is blown to begin the game and the adrenaline starts coursing through your body, you actually don't know if you're ready to play until you actually play the game. The problem with all of this talk of you don't know until you know is that usually, usually that phrase, especially, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak specifically to our young adults here in the room, every one of us at one time or another have heard this phrase followed by something like, sometimes it's implied, uh, implied sometimes it's explicit, that's why you don't know, or else, that's why you didn't get the job, or, well, you wouldn't really understand because you've never been there, or we're only accepting applicants with three to five years of experience. 
how am I supposed to get experience if everyone is requiring three to five years of experience? It's a frustrating place to be. I'll never know until I know, so why don't you just let me do it? Why don't you just let me do it? Dad, just let me try. I know I'm going to do a bad job at first, but just let me try. Just let me try. I've been a senior pastor for a little over three years now, and on some level, I understand. I get it. I I understand uh, what they say. It's true. There's a reason why these kinds of sayings are said generation to generation in every place is because there's definitely truth there. But on the other hand, on the other hand, God has been preparing me for this for many years, for very many years, uh, indeed my whole life. He's let me play dress up. I've been an associate or an assistant or just a child literally playing dress up. I've been pretending. I've been playing make-believe. He's been preparing me for such a time as this. In his great mercy, he's allowed me to practice a lot before I got subbed into the real game. To experience great joys and deep pains over the years before I entered into a lot of joy and a lot more pain. Mountaintop experiences and deep valleys, he has been growing me up, in other words. And he's growing us all up. Don't be afraid. He's been letting me go. And if you're, if you're a parent of toddler, this is a, well, or a teenager, I mean, it, it applies in every area of life, whether they're leaving the home for college or whatever. He's allowed me to walk on my own on my winding path of life hiking up steep mountain paths alone to experience grand views of his goodness and letting go of my hand, allowing me to fall down and to experience pain and loss. Parents, let your kids do that. (laughs) A little bit more over time. Crushing pain and broken bones as I tumble down the other side of the mountain. It doesn't matter. He's been letting me go. He's been letting me play. And then, in his great mercy... In the mud and the muck of the valley, he did not immediately pull me out and set me up on the next high mountain of life. Even when I did not think I was broken, even when I did not see the darkness of the valley that I was covered in filth, he was there. He was there. Sometimes I had enough light to acknowledge the darkness of the valley just a little bit, and I cried out to God, in, in my better moments, in frustration, like Mary and Martha, why don't you come now? Why don't you help me? And in probably more of my moments, it, the frustration is turned to accusation. I think you're a terrible father. I don't like the way you're doing this, Dad, because you should have been holding my hand. Good dads don't let their kids bruise their knee or skin their elbow. A good father wouldn't have let me fall down into this mess I'm in. Accusation. Out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. This is the language of the flood. This is the language of our baptism, of walking on dry ground through the raging waters of the Red Sea, the waters of judgment. The depths in the scriptures 
are chaos and fear and disorder where Leviathan or great dragons, think of sea monsters. Yes, real sea monsters rise up out of the depths to consume and to destroy. This is the place where experienced fishermen are sailing in a boat in a sea that they've sailed on thousands of times before, and a great storm rises up, and they are terrified all the while Jesus is asleep in the boat. This kind of depth. Jesus, wake up! Wake up, we're about to die. What are you doing? This is the depths. Be still, he rises to say. Two seconds ago, experienced fishermen were terrified that they were about to drown in the depths of the sea, and now miraculously the sea is perfectly still, and they look into the face of Jesus, and they're still terrified. Who is this guy? Who is he? Writing about the experience of attending a new church. Some of you are here visiting here this morning. Attending a new church like the experience of a wonderful honeymoon. So maybe if you stuck around for a little while and you you experienced the euphoria of like, man, I actually kind of like this place. In the Screwtape Letters, C.S. Lewis describes the inevitable realization that the honeymoon is over. Who's been there? Some of you have been here here, which is good, which is good. That initial euphoria, that rush of first love, that, that feeling that, that draws you in, okay? That's a really great church becomes, wow, this is actually a real church. This is actually, these are a bunch of people just like me in so many ways. So Uncle Screwtape, if you don't know, he's a demon. He's writing to another demon. This is a fictional account. He says this, the enemy, or else God, God allows disappointment and anticlimax. So right after the rush, the high, he goes straight to this anticlimax to occur on the threshold of every human endeavor. It occurs when lovers have got married and begin the real task, the real task of learning to live together. Can I get an amen? Okay, let's keep going. In every department of life, it marks the transition from dreaming aspiration to laborious doing. That is, that is probably one of the most profound phrases in all of literature. From dreaming aspiration to laborious doing, he goes on to say, God takes this risk. Because he has a curious fantasy of making all these disgusting little human vermin into what he calls free. Lovers and servants. Sons is the word he uses. The demons, they don't like this. Desiring their freedom, God, he, he therefore refuses to carry them. How does he refuse to carry them? He he refuses to carry them by mere affections and habits to any of the goals which he sets before them. He leaves them to do it on their own, to do it on their own. If once they get through this initial dryness successfully, Screwtape says, they become much less dependent on emotion and therefore much harder to tempt. Much harder to tempt from dreaming aspiration to laborious doing. 
The writer of Hebrews puts it like this. God is making us into sons and daughters. That's his goal. He's adopted us into his family, and he treats us as sons and daughters. He is both, in this, in this letter to the Hebrews, he is a good father, and he's also a consuming fire. Both of these languages are used about God the Father. He's refining us. He's shaping us through highs and lows. He disciplines us. He refuses to carry them, in other words. This is C.S. Lewis's language. He wants us to grow up so that we can walk by ourselves to practice, to become like he is, to become loving, not just to magically make it happen, to become loving, but not just to those who love us first. That's pretty easy. But he lets us practice with people who love us first. Thanks be to God. To become joyful, but not just when everything is going well. Peaceful, not just when we're sitting comfortably on the mountaintop, but peaceful in the valley. Patient, not only when we're waiting in the doctor's office at our annual checkup, where we expect, well, maybe, maybe we don't expect good news, but we're not there in fear yet, right? But when we're waiting on the results of a biopsy, when there's a 50-50 chance that the bad cells are even right there as you're sitting in the weight room, killing and destroying inside of you. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, these are gifts and they're virtues that they don't come easily and they don't come quickly. Kind to a drug addict. That's what God is making us into be. Good when an evil eye is fixed on you. Faithful when everyone around you is faithless. Gentle when a false accusation is spit into your face. Self-control when you're alone and nobody's watching. It, it can't really hurt anybody. I'll just do it this one time. God, because he loves us, because he wants you to grow up to be strong, because he wants you to be able to face hard challenges with joy, because he wants to conquer great dragons with self-control. God loves you, and he calls you his own, and he lets go of your hand. This is, this is something that happens to all of us. He lets go. It's okay, little toddler. Go ahead. And we keep looking back at him. Are you still there? Are you still there, Dad? Are you still with me? He says, it's not safe. It's not safe. And it's, if you're a parent, it's terrifying. But go ahead. I'm watching you. But I'm not, I'm not right next to you. I'm not making sure everything is safe all the time. C.S. Lewis, after the death of his close friend, Charles Lewis, who he called the friend of the friends. Charles, I said Charles Lewis, Charles Williams. Charles Williams was the glue guy. You guys know this. If you have a friend, um, this friend kind of doesn't get along with this friend, but if there's this other friend who's always there, he keeps everyone on their same behavior, best behavior. All right, so this is Charles Williams. And the week or weeks after his death, Lewis wrote in a letter of Charles Williams, one seems at moments to be living in a new world. Lots, lots of pain, but not a particle of depression or resentment. Lewis is in a valley moment, and yet he's joyful. 
and yet he's joyful, not denying his pain, not denying his pain, but experiencing it as, as a gift before the Lord. How do you do that? How? How is that even possible? Psalm 130, verse 1, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord, O Yahweh. This isn't the whole of verse 1. It's not the whole verse. Psalm 130 is in the midst of a series of 15 psalms from 120 to 134 that begin with two Hebrew words. Okay, so if you have your Bible open, there are two words that are listed maybe below a bold title, and it will say a song, a song of ascents. Okay, so most of the, the titles in your Bible are interpreters coming in and adding titles to your Bible. A song of ascents are the first two words of this psalm. They're in the original, okay? The first two words, a song of ascents. Built into the first two words is the idea of going up. How, how can you ascend if you don't start low, okay? So th- we're in a low place at the beginning of this psalm. In Psalm 130, it's a song not of ascent, but of ascents. This is not a solo. It's not a solo song. It's a communal song. It's a group song. It's not a melody. It's a harmony. Okay, so this is where we begin the psalm. Our Father, in His great mercy, He lets go of your hand, Christian, to walk up steep mountains, to ascend, and on the other side of those mountains, down into deep ravines, Very often, he doesn't hold our hands. Sometimes he breaks in and he lifts us up miraculously and in in moments of complete joy and shock. But even when he is distant, we're not alone. We're not alone. This is not a song of ascent. It's, it's It's a communal song. It's a song of all these ascents happening at the same time together or else to be repeated over and over again every time you go down in the valley come on come on back up come on back up the hill so in his great mercy our father he allows us to fall down but he gives us he gives us big brothers or sometimes little brothers to grab our hand and help us up he gives us big sisters to comfort us when we feel abandoned to hold the baby when you're exhausted. Big brothers, right? This happens in a home. We're not alone in the ascent. This is how the psalm begins. God made us creatures. He made us to work and to rest, to go up and to come down. He made man, male and female, to rest in his presence. And the image of Genesis chapter 1 and 2 is of a a mountaintop garden. On top of the garden mountain and on the, on the seventh day. So this is the resting on the mountain. And he made us to go out with his presence into the wilderness. Down the mountain garden into the wilderness of the world. This is how God made humanity into the wilderness valley to work. And to make the wilderness into a garden. To multiply children throughout the world who would live with God, who would spread his presence into all the world, communing with him, even as they went out into the wilderness, or else the low places, the valley, to bring his garden sanctuary, to spread it, 
to spread it into the world. This is what it means to be a creature. Highs and lows. Before anything was bad, we were made to experience work and rest. Well, I guess work maybe right down here for you. I don't know. Depends on where you're at today, right? Work and rest, right? A rhythm of up and down. This is what it means to be dependent, to be dependent upon God, our Father. He is our creator. We are never independent of him. We are a creature. We're made for ups and downs, for six on and one off. This is how it was in the beginning, and it was good. Before the fall, it was good. But here's the thing. We're fools, all of us. We are fools, or else we're fallen like our fathers and our fathers before our fathers all the way back to the beginning. We think that if we can just get out of the valley, if we could just get out of this low moment, out of our depression, out of financial instability, out of that place of feeling insecure, apply it to your soul right now. Not to your neighbor's soul, but to your own insecurities. If we can just rest for a little while upon a mountaintop garden, wouldn't that be nice? Be happy, be financially secure, be confident, be successful. Any high ground, that's what we want. Give me any high ground above the overwhelming depths of life will do. We will seek a high place everywhere that we can try and we'll find it. We'll build towers in the scriptures. This is the story of Holy Scripture. We'll build towers and temples on high places. And we think that when we have enough of whatever we're seeking, whether it's money or power or sexual satisfaction or healthy children or a stable marriage or a really great ministry or a fulfilling job, whatever it is, when everything feels great, who cares if God's present? I'm on my mountain. I'm safe. At least I'm safe from the flood, or so I think. I've built my strong tower. I've built my tall mountain. But without God's presence, it's insecure. This is the, this is the imagery of Revelation. They run to the high mountains, and it crumbles down all around them. We're fools. The psalmist continues in verse 3, If you, O Lord, if you, Yahweh, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared, that you may be feared. The depths that the psalmist cries out to, to God from, these depths are not simply valleys of terrible things that happen to him that happened to the singer or else the singers, he cries out from the depth of his own iniquity, of all of his iniquities. His plea to God is to save him, not just from the world and the devil, from things outside himself, but to save him from himself. God, save me from the crumbling tower of my pride when I think that I'm secure on my high mountain that I built for myself. Save me. Save me from that place. God, save me from the flood of my sinful desires that overwhelm me and that are drowning me and they're overtaking me. God, I know that sometimes those floods come because of wicked people and wicked things outside of myself. 
I cry out to God in those moments. You should cry out to God in those moments. But sometimes we break the dam ourselves, right? We do it ourselves. And so the psalmist says, come and save me from myself. Save me, God. So this is our song from the depths or else our depths, our own broken and sinful hearts. We sing a song of ascents, pleading with God to stretch out his hand and to save. In this valley, in this valley or else this liturgical valley of Lent that we've been walking in for five weeks now, we recognize that we are in a deep valley, or at least we're trying to do that. We're deep down in the valley, not only of the terrors of this world from outside us that threaten to destroy us, but from ourselves, from the terrors of our own soul and our own flesh, our desires, our pride, our depression, all the, all the, all the safe places that we run to that, are, that turn out to not be safe. So we cry out from the depths, O oh Lord, hear my voice. God, would you hear my voice? Show mercy to me, a sinner. Verse 5. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in His Word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord. More than watchmen for the morning. And if I don't get that, my soul needs to wait for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. Say it again. I don't like Lent. I don't know about you guys. I'm not a big fan of Lent in my nature. I don't like waiting for Easter. It, sometimes it's really hard, and sometimes it's just hard, but it's always hard. This is Lent. I'm ready to have fun now. I want the mountaintop experience right now. And some of us, some of us are rejoicing right now in the season of Lent. Lent feels weird because life is good. The liturgical remembrance doesn't line up with your experience, right? In the sine wave of our life, we're on the opposite. It doesn't line up right now. That's where some of us are this morning. Get your head up. I encourage you to get your head up this morning. You're not walking through the valley of Lent by yourself. Pay attention to those who are weeping around you and weep with them. You don't know until you know. You don't know until you know. Practice Lent like a child. Practice like a, a student of a game or a discipline. Practice it so that when you get into the real game, you'll be ready. You'll be ready. Stretch those muscles. Weep with those who are weeping. Wait for the Lord. Some of us, the song of our life. Again, like it's really interesting. You see this, you see this up and down. Spring, fall, like you see it in the seasons. You see it in even the the, the sine waves of the sound of a voice. It's all over the place. It's, this is how God made the universe to, to reflect this rhythm. Some of us, Lent lines up perfectly. It's in perfect harmony. Or else we're singing this Lenten melody right now in our felt experience. Your real life is Lent. It's dryness and wilderness and laborious doing, and no joy. You're in the valley. And you might have been told, and hear this, this is really important, you might have been told in a lot of different ways your whole life that you're supposed to go to church and believe better. Just 
Just believe better, Christian. Believe better. Just believe the gospel. Believe it a little bit more. Or, or else, speak a word of faith over your fear. Speak faith. Te- cast it away. Do that. Fake a smile on Sunday so that you can get out of your bed of depression on Monday. This is a lie. This is a lie. It's foolish. Positive psychology, and you guys know that I'm a nerd about psychological literature. Positive psychology isn't all bad, and I will use it. I will use it, but it's not Christianity. It's, a, it's something, right? It, there's a part to it. There's a part to waking up with joy in your heart, to declare the goodness of God in broken moments, right? Um, we sing this, blessed be the name of the Lord, right? Blessed be the name of the Lord when we're low and when we're high. We, we rehearse this kind of thing. So there's, there's an element of truth to positive psychology, but it's not Christianity. In the end, on its own, positive psychology, whether it's in the form of a secular Joel Osteen kind of a wake up and feel better about yourself, or if it's a reformed, just believe the gospel better. You don't, you just don't believe the gospel, people. Or Pentecostal word faith. We've got to speak it into existence. In all of its various forms, it's a lie. It's a crumbling tower that might get you up out of the fray for just a moment, but it's going to crash down. It's going to crash down, and you're going to fall deeper and deeper into the valley. St. Leo the Great puts it like this, we cannot put limitations on the mercy of God or fix limits to times. We cannot put a limit on the mercy of God. I do this. God, you cannot forgive me. I don't don't understand how you could ever forgive me, so I'm going to run away from you. We put limits on God's mercy. His mercy is way more boundless than we can ever imagine. Or else we put limits on his time. He can't raise Lazarus. He's dead. He stinks. I don't want to wait on you, Lord. We're really good at both of those things. So hear the gospel this morning. Enter into Lent. We only have a couple weeks left. We're almost to Palm Sunday. Next Sunday is Palm Sunday. It's like a, a little taste of Easter. And then we have a pretty intense week of Holy Week, all preparing us for Easter. We're almost there. But I encourage you this morning, you don't have to feel better today. That's not a sign that you're a better Christian or a worse Christian this morning. Wait. Wherever you're at, if you're up high, if you're you're low, wait on the Lord. Don't deny your joy and don't deny your pain. Yell out your desolations to the Lord and bring all of your consolations to him. Grab the hand of the other sinner next to you. And if I was, if I was going to make all of us real uncomfortable this morning, I would make you actually do that. Right? You'd turn to your neighbor and look at their face and say, I'm here for you, neighbor. Okay? Maybe you should do that. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not going to do that to you. Um, my wife would probably get on to me afterwards if I actually made you do that. But here's the thing. You're not alone. I I don't care where you are this morning. You're not the only one experiencing it. That is a lie. It is an utter lie that we tell ourselves all the time. I'm the only one who's going through this. Or I'm the only one who's ever gone through this. We need to wait on the Lord. The gospel gives you permission to wait. And to wait in hope. 
a hope that stands upon the fortress walls of your soul like a watchman, like a watchman in the dark of night, like a watchman, like a watchman. Let's say it over and over again in our soul. I can wait because there's a watchman. I'm waiting like a watchman. It's dark. It's nighttime, but the morning has come. I have hope. Verse 7, O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plenty, plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. The people of Israel sang this song in faith. They sang this in the Old Covenant by faith. By faith in Yahweh's steadfast love, which he demonstrated over again. By faith in Yahweh's plentiful redemption. Faith that rises up out of the depths as the people of God ascended up God's holy mountain over and over again. By faith, they came up this mountain to the temple of God where they could bring sacrifices for their iniquities and be redeemed by God by faith. They sang this song. And we get to join our voices with them in this song. You're not alone. You're not alone, Christian. But we get to sing the final verse in a different way. There's a transposition. Like, we're, we're, we're raising it up. What, what is... Yeah, I don't know. We're changing the key, right? right? What is it called? Modulation. There it is. Good night. Sorry. Modulation. We get to modulate that last verse, Christian. Hear this again. Hear this again. He will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. This is the last verse. Catherine Patterson yesterday, she... Uh, she told the story of sitting in a children's hospital and talking to one of the other parents in, this, in the waiting room, and this parent said something that I will never forget. And I'm going to try to say it to you in such a way that you'll never forget it. Some people here this morning, some people here this morning are Psalm 23 Christians. We're Psalm 23 Christians, and we say or we sing, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will feel no evil, for you are with me. You're in the valley, but you feel the presence of God. And some people here are Psalm 22 Christians. How does that psalm begin? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? They're both in the valley, and they're both faithful songs. And here is the good news of the gospel. It doesn't matter which song you're singing this morning, whether it's Psalm 130 or Psalm 23 or Psalm 22, or all of them together because you don't know your own heart, and you're confused, and you're just like me, and you're up and down all the time. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I know this. Jesus sang the song. He sang all of these songs on our behalf. Jesus entered into the depths of our valleys. Every pit we have been thrown into, like Joseph, who was cast there by his brothers. Every grave of self-pity that we've dug for ourselves. Every tomb, like Lazarus, was put into. Jesus went there, but he went lower than that. He went lower than that, and we're about to confess that in the creed. Jesus not only... He went to the depths of our experience. He died and he went to hell. Can you go lower than that? No, you cannot. 
You cannot go any lower than he is willing to go on your behalf. There is no place too low for Christ to redeem us. Wait on the Lord. His song comes down and it lifts our struggling voice to sing and not alone, but together. Together with the saints throughout time and the saints gathered in this room going up from the depths singing. Going up. Let us go up. Let's ascend. Jesus sang a song of descent so that we could sing songs of ascent over and over again. He, he came down so that we could rise in him. He went to hell to redeem Old Testament saints by faith who sang Psalm 130, and Jesus is present here in your hell. I don't know what your hell is this morning, but he is breaking in by faith. By faith, more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. That you might experience right now, even as you wait and wait and wait, and sometimes he says no, and sometimes he says yes, and sometimes he doesn't say anything at all. He is here. He is present this morning. Out of the depths, we can cry out to Jesus. And that's what we are invited to do here this morning by faith. In the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Would you please stand and let us confess our faith in the words of the Nicene Creed. Let us pray for the church and for the world, saying, hear our prayer. For the peace of the whole world and for the well-being and unity of the people of God. Lord, in your mercy. For Foley, our Archbishop, for Steve and Quig and Alan, our bishops,
and for all the clergy and people of our diocese and congregation. Lord, in your mercy, for all those who proclaim the gospel at home and abroad, and for all who teach and disciple others by what we have done and by what we have left undone, we have not loved you with our whole heart.